welcome to Of Dust and Divinity, an ongoing conversation with makers, thinkers, and doers, where we ask big questions of the small things. I wish, I hope we can get to a place where people can just talk about maybe what they think is negative or unattractive to people just talk about it and and I and I think that would actually help people overcome adversity so much faster but there's so much shame around not being perfect I think in America <laughs> and nobody's perfect so I am so excited about today's episode and I can't wait for you to meet our guests they are fantastic and the conversation only gets better Isaac and identifying myself has been a lifelong conversation between myself and God, but I generally lead that I'm a TCK or third culture kid who now as a 30 something adult is learning to slow down and draw significance and meaning from being rooted in one place. I live in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, where I work in marketing for an international faith-based nonprofit. I'm a Christ follower and I attend a small Mennonite church just two blocks from my house. If I could clone myself, I would probably be a counselor. My name is Molly. Uh, I'm a personal chef and personal trainer in Los Angeles, California. I'm a proud dog mom. I identify as a straight, white, cis female. Uh, Spiritually, I would define myself as agnostic. And if I could clone myself and have two jobs, my clone would probably be a private investigator. And I'm your host, Caben Kramer. I'm a fourth-generation California farmer farming walnuts on fertile concow land along the edge of the Feather River. I'm a husband and a father to two awesome kids. I identify as a white male, and I'm loving my 30s. Formally, I'm educated as an engineer, though I've never actually practiced engineering as a profession. I identify as a follower of Jesus and find the teachings and lifestyle of Jesus attractive. If I could clone myself and do two occupations, my clone would probably be a cultural anthropologist. Of Dust and Divinity is an ongoing conversation carrying over from one episode to the next. Like if the podcast itself were a table in the back corner of your local pub, and each round of guests are like friends gathered at the table in free-flowing conversation. And if those friends were left a slip of paper from the previous loafers at the table by which to begin their chat. So here's the note left on that proverbial table by our previous guests, and it serves as the jumping off point for this episode. You know, the, the experience that I can speak best to is my own. And it reminded me there's, I've had a couple of pretty low points in my life. Um, a lot of that was around transitions in my life, be it personal or professional. The most recent one being professional. Um, and I remember talking to a, an older kind of mentor of mine and he said, you know, Chris, you can you can spend your life going forward, you know, driving, only looking in the rearview mirror, or you can you can take your experience, you can take it, learn from it, not get rid of it, but put it there on the shelf and, and know that that's something that you can reference, but you can also look through the windshield and move forward with that, knowing that you, you're better for learning that and better going through, going through it. I truly wish that you are 
earlier description of a, you know, uh, a booth in the back of the pub with our favorite drinks. I wish that was like truly what we were doing right now. I know. It's fine. Know. It's fine. <laughs> you know, you could do an, a nighttime version where people drink a cocktail while they do your podcast. Well, I, I am drinking. I'm drinking whiskey right now. So, I mean. I was about oh. to say, it's it's 630 where I am and I definitely just got a beer. So. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, wait, now I feel totally left out. <laughs> you can go back on mute and make yourself a drink if you need to. <laughs> I might have a glass of wine, actually. Do you guys yeah, mind you if should. I? Oh, goodness. Okay. No, please do. No. Yeah. I mean, I've I've enjoyed whiskey for many years now, but I just, I find that uh, having whiskey while I do these recordings helps my voice quite a bit. Like it just, mm. I don't get quite as raspy. And it just right. helps, you know, me relax into the conversation, which is good. It's medicinal. So what beer are you drinking? Um, <laughs> this is a leftover uh, from our little shindig yesterday. It's that Icelandic beer. Do you know, like, it's like Einsock or Einsock Oh, or yes, I do. I haven't had that in yeah. a while. So they made this one has like juniper and it's like more like a summer, you know, shandy kind of kind of deal. And are you are you more of a a light end of the spectrum, like a light beer, light color? I am like your basic white dude IPA (laughs) lover. (laughs) Basic white dude. Yep. I freaking love it. I'll I chalk it up to living in Portland for a year, but I love a good hoppy IPA. Okay. It's just so delicious. <laughs> I, I used to drink mm. IPAs when I was trying to be cool. And then I realized mm. I actually just don't really like the way it tastes. So yeah, I stopped. I love the way it tastes. Okay. I'm, I'm very much on the dark, like the darker and heavier the beer can be like, and, and you know, a real beer drinker will scold me because they're like, it's too sweet to be real beer. Um, but I'm like, yeah, give me all that like chocolate stout, yes. coffee stout, all that like sweet, creamy, heavy beer. Mm, that's my jam. Lovely. <laughs> and now that I'm in my 30s and I've done some internal work, I can own what I like. <laughs> I love that. That's amazing. And now that we all have our drinks in hand, we're turning our attention back to the original question and conversation. Enjoy the episode. Yeah, so um, I am my own boss, so I set my own schedule. Um, right now, though, because of quarantine, I'm not working outside of the house. So uh, I have a few clients that I'm training. I'm doing personal training um, via like FaceTime or Skype. Uh, but, you know, it's work is obviously non-existent for the personal chef part of my job. Like I'm not, I usually before, uh, before COVID, I would go to clients' houses. I would do the grocery shopping for them, go to their houses and prepare like all of their meals for the week. So I would do it like on Monday, I'd show up, make breakfast, lunch, and dinner for Monday and Tuesday. Then I'd come back on Wednesday, um, and continue. So, uh, with the, with the personal chef work, uh, it's my own schedule. And then when I go to clients' houses, they're usually at work. So I listen to a lot of podcasts or music and I just, it's a great job. I can be creative 
And it's the, if I have clients that aren't super picky, that's amazing. Cause then I can try out new recipes and, and really just kind of do my own thing. And, um, I was going to say something else, but I can't, sorry, my brain's a little foggy. What was I going to say? Oh, I don't know. Anyway. Oh, this is what I was going to say. Yeah. You can edit all of that out. Um, <laughs> I was going to say, because I do the personal training as well, like most of my clients are very, the, the personal chef work is, is health oriented. So it's like people are either trying to lose weight or they're trying to gain muscle mass. So it's very programmed specifically for what my clients want, mostly aesthetically or for health reasons. So, uh, there's a little education involved in there too. I'm not going to be doing personal training or even personal chef work forever. It's, it's financially really gratifying in Los Angeles, but not so much, I guess you could say it's not spiritually fulfilling because LA is, I love my clients to death, but I'm not, I don't feel like I'm really helping people to change their lives because most of the, my clients here are, they're already they're already a healthy weight or they're thin and they're just, they have a lot of money. They want to spend it. Uh, and it's kind of like a statusy thing. So, um, I'm actually going to do a certification to be a victim's advocate. And that's something that I've always really, I've always thought about doing. I've always thought about either doing like getting into being a therapist or helping crime victims or, uh, or maybe like neglected or abused children. So that's actually my new goal for this year to, to start an online program so I can do that. And it's so needed. Oh my goodness. I mean, can we just talk about what's been happening in our country for the last couple of years of like children in cages on the border and people mm -hmm. getting murdered in broad daylight. And I mean, like advocacy work is just so critical. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I really think there's a need for it. And the wage for a victim to be a victim, victim's advocate, I believe it's the wages are so low. It's like, especially if you live in a city like Los Angeles, there's no way that you that anyone would be able to to survive off of like making 30 to 50 grand a year. But that's, is, you know, it's like teachers and anyone else that's doing public service. I feel like if you're in a position to really help people and, and not make any money, <laughs> I think if you can do it, you should do it. Which kind of, Isaac, is kind of exactly what you're doing, right? Helping people for <laughs> and maybe hopefully making money? Well, I live in, uh, yeah, Lancaster, Pennsylvania. Does is uh, The cost of living here is... Um, is much lower than Los Angeles. Um, if I made 50 grand a year here, that'd be, uh, that'd be super great. Um, but, um, no, to, to, to your point though, I think it's, I I'm learning more and more about the cost, um, of, of certain positions within, I don't know, the workforce or, or even public service that, that so many people would love to be in, but because they do not come from a privileged background, um, 
they they can't afford to take those positions. And yet it's often those people that we want most desperately in those positions to serve because maybe they come from a background where they have a deeper sense of understanding or empathy for uh, systematic injustice, et cetera. Um, uh, this is something that my nonprofit, my, the organization I'm a part of, has been looking at when it comes to our internship program. And our internship program, like most nonprofits, does not pay anything, really, um, which automatically precludes certain people from applying. And so we're having to take a hard look at that and and say, well, maybe we need to pay people to be interns or to, to come and join us um, because... Otherwise, yeah, we're going to continue to only get people who can afford um, to to not be paid for a whole summer. And so, yeah, that's important. What would you say right now where you're at in life? What would you say is kind of the truth of being you. And then what did that journey look like for you to get there? I have a really, I have a good life. Um, My life has been, has progressively gotten better with age. So I had some childhood adversity, maybe quite a bit. And, you know, children are so tough and resilient and, uh, and can adapt and they can uh, develop survival techniques and coping mechanisms that are amazing. And that keeps us alive as kids if we, you know, endure trauma. Uh, But then you, you get older and those coping mechanisms and, and patterns of behavior and protecting yourself and surviving, they're just not, they're not needed anymore and they're not necessary and they're not helpful. Uh, In fact, they're, they can be problematic because you can end up living a life. That's very like, you're very, you protect yourself and you're ready for trauma and trouble and, and pain. Uh, And where I'm going with this is that, you know, that's something in my twenties that I couldn't quite put my finger on. And I also in my twenties, couldn't even face the issues from my childhood. It's almost like my memory was erased. Uh, And I was always trying to figure out and who I was, you know, when I was younger, when, even when I was like, I mean, as a teenager, I was trying to figure out who I was and where I fit because I didn't really fit into my immediate family. And and I mean, for most people, if you ha- if you grow up in a family that's uh, supportive and and healthy, you know who you are, and you've got like a really good, solid foundation. But for me, I didn't really have that. So my twenties were kind of like I was. Uh, I've always been a little bit fearless, and uh, oh, my dogs are playing. A little fearless and kind of outgoing and I'm going to try this and I'm going to do that and uh, see where it goes. I, I wasn't as cautious as maybe most young people are. I got to move this puppy out of here. Sorry. Come here. See you later. Bye. 
Okay, sorry for the dog interruption. Um, so anyway, my 20s were avoiding my past and then trying to maybe medicate myself and or distract myself or I have a tendency to be a workaholic and be overly ambitious and really focus on things that can distract me from healing myself, uh, which so in my 30s, that's that's where I'm at now. I, I at like 28, I started to really kind of look at myself and say, OK, you know, you've got you've got the on paper, everything looks great. You know, you've got everything. You have shelter, you have income, you've got food regularly, you're healthy. Um, you know, I checked all the boxes, but I was still, I had insomnia, I was struggling with depression. And uh, I kind of really started, I started to read some books about, you know, childhood adversity and, um, I started to go to therapy and now I'm at a place where I'm, I feel calm. I feel good because I've faced, I've faced things that I haven't wanted to face and I've done a lot of healing. I've also set boundaries with people that before I really struggled with setting boundaries with certain people, um, in my family and from my childhood. And I've really, I feel like I'm finally at a place where I can just be like, ah, okay, life is, life is good. And, and I'm, I'm peaceful. I just am so thankful for your voice and your story and you having the courage to bring it into this space. And I want to just really honor that because I think it's hard to do. Thank you. Yeah, I feel, I feel like there's also, you know, there's stigma around struggle. I feel like there's, there, I, I don't know if it's just an American thing, but it's, it's like, it's okay to not be okay. And if, if our, if our culture could get to that point where, you know, it's okay to, to have a past that isn't perfect and it's okay to struggle and it's okay. It's like, I wish, I hope we can get to a place where people can just talk about maybe what they think is negative or unattractive to people and just talk about it. And, and I, and I think that would actually help people overcome adversity so much faster, but there's so much shame around not being perfect, I think in America <laughs> and nobody's perfect. So Oh, maybe we can get there at some point. Oh man, that so deeply resonates with me and just really kind of hits a nail on the head where it translates in my story. And I, I appreciate that you read that into kind of the whole of America because in my story, it was so hyper-focused on the church and the wounding that happened through religion and dogma and other things like that that I pinned all of that on the church, right? Like the church isn't able to have honest conversations. The church isn't able to look its own pain in the face 
or create space for people within it to look their pain in the face and actually do something useful with it. Um, but I think you're right, kind of as a larger culture. I mean, that's, yeah, it's definitely a, a, a current shortcoming. Molly, I'd be curious to hear if you don't mind sharing. Um, you know, anytime we go through disruption, um, yeah, we have the opportunity to grow and we have the opportunity to sort of dig a little deeper and find some some truth. Um, I wonder what quarantine has been like for you um, as you've had time, as you've been, you know, disrupted in your normal schedule. Um, I would just wonder, yeah, what's what's quarantine been like for you? Well, so when did quarantine start? It started in it started a thousand years ago. I mean, right? Oh my God. Yeah. So, well, so, uh, I mean, I got it this year, 2020, I got to say is completely bizarre. So we, we went to Canada for Christmas and we were there for about four or five weeks. My boyfriend's originally from Canada and we came back from Christmas and I think about a week or two passed and we found, we got the call that my boyfriend's father had passed away. So then we went back to Canada and we stayed for another five weeks and, um, and we're kind of quarantined in Canada for five weeks doing a lot of, you know, family stuff and, uh, and sorting everything out. Uh, and it was snowing and, you know, we were in our Airbnb for most of the, that time and family would come in and out, but it was really like being quarantined. And then we came back to LA and the quarantine started. So it's been, this whole year has been a lot of isolation, <laughs> a lot of quality time that uh, I don't think most, I think most couples don't spend this much time together. So, cause neither of us are really working. We've grown a lot as a couple. I think we've grown a lot as individuals too, because when you're not distracted by every little thing in life, which is, you know, work, and schedules and social obligations and all that stuff. It's like, you really do have to kind of just sit with yourself and it can be depressing at times and it can be overwhelming because we don't know when this quarantine is gonna end. Uh, it's It's been a little, like there, it's been a little scary at times. I mean, when we had a lot of, when the riots started, uh, I was all for it. <laughs> I'm very pro protest. And if riots start from because of the atrocities that have happened to black people in America, I'm actually okay with it. But it was a little bit, it was like, okay, how intense is this going to get? You know, is it going to become like the riots in 1992 in LA? Uh, I hope people are going to be okay. Um, and so yeah, it's been it's been a weird roller coaster ride of isolation and and other elements thrown in. Yeah, I think for myself, if I had to go into this quarantine like seven or eight years ago, it would have been a lot scarier <laughs> than going into it now because, like you said, like I would have had to spend time with myself, and I hadn't done a lot of that internal work. And it sounds like you've done a lot of internal work right in the last five or six years. Um, and ha have you noticed that that's paid off during quarantine? Oh yeah. Yes. Uh, <laughs> I mean, life in general has just been better after doing all the, 
the internal work. And I still do therapy. I, I speak with my therapist once a week. She's amazing. I love her. And so I feel like the work isn't, it's never done, but yeah, I haven't, if, if I would have had to, to isolate and quarantine before doing all the work, I don't know. I, who knows? I don't need, I can't even think about how hard it would be. It would be very difficult. I think this quarantine period has been such an interesting period to go through because of its just, yeah, time in my life of, of having gone through a lot of different things, having done a lot of work and yet still having to go through periods of, um, or feeling things that I thought I had already worked through. Um, and that can be, that can be frustrating, you know, to, to be, to be still finding yourself, um, kind of pivot into or, or sort of pronate back to the rut or the, you know, the, that, that, the, the, the trough <laughs> that you so can so easily fall into. Um, and you can be aware of it. Um, but yeah, it can still be incredibly annoying or to process it's so much later. I mean, it took me till June. <laughs> it's the last month to really put my finger on the pulse of what I was actually feeling or what I was actually processing or what I was actually mad about or angry about. Um, but, um, yeah, so good to be able to have the tools and the resources to, um, work through that, um, and not let it pass you by, uh, without really grabbing it by the horns and saying, what is this? Uh, and what is true here and what is a lie and okay okay I can see this and I'm gonna you know I'm gonna make it I'm gonna I'm gonna work through it um, or it's not as big as I thought it was so anyway you know one thing that's interesting about the time we're living in right now is I think that I think everybody in one way or another is going through the stages of grief because we've lost a lot. We've lost life as we knew it. And there, you know, the, there's anger and it's, it's a roller coaster of emotions being in quarantine. I think every day is different. And I think it is like just grieving and then not knowing what's next. Absolutely. And I think it's interesting to overlay the conversation of racism in our country with with these emotions and and sort of any sense of guilt or, or shame that I might feel because as I look at the, you know, yeah, the grief curve that I'm going through during this season and questioning, you know, do I have the right even to feel this way or be processing these things in the way that I am because my job has, has been fine. Um, I have so many of the, the resources and things that I need to make it through this, this season. It's just, it's been, again, so interesting just to, to process that um, on top of everything else that's happening in our country. Yeah, there, there's, I'm sure for most people that are, that are going to be okay through this, there is a lot of guilt because there are so many people that don't have jobs and they can't feed their families and they just got evicted. I mean, there are so many, and then there are the people that actually you know, have the virus and there's so much death and, 
And then there's also so much anger involved, you know, looking at the people in your community that are self-centered and not just doing a very simple thing. Just they're not wearing a mask and it could literally, if everyone wore a mask, we could get through this and so many less people would die and, and maybe we could get back to normal life even faster. So there's, yeah, there's guilt, there's anger. And then with the Black Lives Matter movement, I mean, it's, there's more anger with that too. I mean, I, I gotta tell you when, when Black Lives Matter really blew up on social media, I was so angry because there were, there were a lot of people that I followed from, you know, back home in Northern California that were either completely ignoring the issue or they were saying all lives matter, you know, all that bullshit. I'm going to say bullshit because it is. Yeah. (laughs) Total bullshit. I was, I unfollowed a lot of people and just was, I decided, and I have, I have like a group, like a chat thread with a lot of my friends down here. And a lot of my friends are black. And I was, I I was like, okay, that's it. Like I'm calling people out a hundred percent from now on. That's my new thing. I don't care if I lose friends. I don't care if I lose family. I'm doing it. I'm going to do it online. I'm going to do it in person. I'm going to be that person now, 100%. Living here in Northern California, but not really being from here. Yeah, my, my childhood was here, but... I went to high school in Kenya and then I went to university elsewhere. And then, you know, I had my professional career in other places besides Northern California until recently. And in this time, man, we have just been lamenting how much we have lost in people we respect. And part of it is like, there's so many levels to it. But part of it, there's like this part of me that's like, was I a fool to have trusted that person for so many years and to actually make choices in my life based off of advice that person had given me? And so there is like an existential mourning to it, right? Of like, has my whole life been a lie that, you know, things that really mattered a lot for a really long time are now to a place where I'm like, I cannot get on board with that. Like, no, I cannot support that position. It just is completely untenable to me. Um, but we're also in this complicated place because being where we are farming, we're probably going to be here for a really long time. And in small communities and rural communities like this, there's a low, low level of turnover. People who are here tend to stay here. And that makes a complicated mix because my tendency is to be calling people out and my beloved wife keeps trying to reel me in and say, remember, we're going to have to be friends with these people for the next 50 years. (laughs) And and, and so it, yeah, it just, man, I vacillate so much, but then balancing that with like, trying to have a quality of life for our kids for the next 15 years as they grow up and being sure that they actually have friends. I just, I don't have any good answers for it at all other than like, oh man, I'm so in the middle of that wrestle. 
I think if you just keep doing it, society is going to get better and it is going to change. But yeah, being in that little pocket, you might alienate yourself a little bit. But I have faith also, though, in that community. I really do. I think that they're a little behind in the times, but they can get there. Because I think in most, in the small community of, you know, in that Northern California area where I'm from, I know people have good hearts. I know they're not malicious and terrible. I just think they're really ignorant and they're just, they're paying attention to the wrong news outlets and they're in a bubble. So we got to pop that bubble and we got to like give them some new information. I wonder, yeah, in, in addition to information, sort of what the the role of, of relationship is, right? And I, I you know, Kaben, you mentioned this, the uh, proximity brings about empathy. I'm not sure if I have that entirely correct, but um, I think there's some, 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 some deep good truth in that, um, that relationships are important. Um, and in, in, in relationship, we, um, yeah, I think we can really bring about transformation mutually, hopefully, you know, like hopefully we're always open to learning more and to, to understanding more. Um, and, yeah, relationship is key, I think. I'm curious, Kaben, like how in your little community, like your social community within that small community, what what has the reaction to the Black Lives Matter movement been? Like, has it been kind of split down the middle or do you feel like it's, is it more all lives matter? Are people outspoken about that? Or is it like that subtle racism? Yeah, people are, well, I should be a little bit more fair and acknowledge that part of my response to this could be my own sense of aloneness. So I just need to own that I feel really alone, which makes it easier for me to have somewhat of like a victim mindset of like, woe is me, kind of like I'm the only person in this area who cares about this. So I recognize that that that's probably discoloring things from being accurate. My impression is that people are on the all lives matter train or even farther in the sense of discrediting the value of the movement. There's lots of talk about like all looting is bad. The whole protesting movement is invalid because they've been destroying personal property. See, they don't care about progress. And it, it, and and really the language of they, them is heavily used, which of course is dividing language. It's language of tribal boundaries. It's language that says I am I and they are other. And what fits here is what is like I and they are the other, and so they don't fit. And I sense that a lot, and chances are there's a lot of other people like me who feel that way and just aren't saying it because kind of the pervasive aura, right, the energy that fills the space of this part of the county isn't the kind of energy that says that those ideas that Black Lives Matter that daylight lynchings by people in uniform are completely unacceptable, that if a few bad protesters make the protesters bad, the few bad cops make the cops bad, or maybe there's good 
right? They're good cops and there's a lot of really good protesters. Maybe, let's consider that. But there just doesn't seem to be space for that. It feels, yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, I We protested here and it's really interesting too to see the police, I think, determine how much violence there is going to be at a protest and they determine how 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 bad it can go because if the police show up and they're already like super aggressive and they're you know shooting people with rubber bullets and they're spraying people with pepper spray or you know whatever they're using i mean it's there's a lot of aggression that happened on behalf of the lapd that did cause a lot of the upset in the beginning i mean we're talking like mass arrests and and violence and people that were hospitalized and and then the police force you know died down a little bit and became more of a presence to make sure protesters were safe instead of being a presence to attack protesters i mean we had the national guard here there were there were soldiers on every street corner with weapons like <laughs> completely unnecessary and very aggressive and now it's better it's finally gotten to a point where it's like okay no these people are not here to cause some kind of a like civil war they're protesting that is our right (laughs) it really felt unsafe and uh it was just really disturbing (laughs) you know our city was definitely in a place it was it almost felt like okay is this going to be reality from now on like we're living in a bizarro land. Like, first of all, you've got, you know, the virus and, and quarantine and stuff. And now the National Guard is occupying all of our neighborhoods. And we're and we had curfews. Oh, I even forgot about that. We had every day we had a different curfew in Los Angeles. One day during all the protests, it was 1 p.m. Like you were not allowed to be outside after 1 p.m. Like you can't go to the grocery store, you can't do anything. And then another day it was like 3 p.m. And then another day it was four and it was all, and we'd get these texts. They're like, you know, the Amber alert that you get on your phone. We get them all throughout the day, just different curfews. Um, It really felt like we were living in a war zone. And that's our show. Thank you so much for joining this ongoing conversation as we seek to unearth meaning in the everyday stuff of life. For show notes or to connect with this community of seekers, visit us online at www.ofdustanddivinity.com. Join our Facebook group, which is called Of Dust and Divinity Podcast Community, and engage us on Instagram at Of Dust and Divinity, all one word. Hey, and if this conversation was meaningful to you like it was meaningful to me, leave a rating and a review on your favorite streaming platforms so that more people just like us can discover this podcast and join the conversation themselves. And don't forget to subscribe. Here is a sneak peek of the next episode. Enjoy. I've always wanted to be known. I've always wanted to be seen as an authentic person um, who is open and yeah, willing to share um, what, what has been given to me. And so yeah, my sexuality continues to be one of those things that I feel open to, to share, and but uh, it's complicated. And yet at the same time, I, I don't, I never want to be just defined by that. Um, and I think my journey and the truth that I've heard from God has been that it, it doesn't define me necessarily. 
gift. I am free to choose in, in what I do with that. Um, and so for me, the invitation has been, at least with my same-sex relationships, to, to be celibate in, in, in that, um, yet still to continue to live out, honestly, my, my whole being, if you will. A huge thank you to my wife for supporting this passion project, and a great big thank you to Michelle Lim of Clementine Brands for all the brand content, including the name of this podcast and the cover art. As you go through your day, remember these words of Rainer Maria Rilke. Be patient toward all that is unsolved in your heart, and try to love the questions themselves. Do not seek the answers which cannot be given to you, for you would not be able to live them. And the point is to live everything. Live the questions now.